I'm Austin Pace here with BYU-Idaho Radio. I'm joined in the studio today with Rusty Earl. By day, Rusty's a video production professor here at BYU-Idaho. By night, an experienced producer and director with a heart for telling human interest stories. He has produced over 20 feature-length documentaries on a variety of topics, such as African-American history, teacher education, military life, and refugee resettlement. His collaborative work has aired across the country on American Public Television, PBS, BYU-TV, and YouTube. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So we're going to talk a little bit about your passion for storytelling and dive into a few of the projects that you've worked on over the years. So first, how did you find your love for producing and directing? Oh, I think that all started really with this element of storytelling. Um, For those maybe not familiar with the term producing, that has a lot of different hats. Um, Nowadays, a lot of people that make their own videos could kind of wear that hat of being a producer because they write, direct, um, you know, edit all their own stuff. Um, But uh, in a little bit larger sense, oftentimes producers are those who organize the talent, who organize the shoots, who organize the details of it, and will often edit their own productions. So... Uh, I guess my heart kind of grew for that by doing my own independent stuff. And then as I grew into bigger productions, just, just understanding that that organization mattered and that you could bring a lot of success to a project based on how organized you were. Was that, is this like a passion that you had since you were a child or was it something that you kind of developed as you grew up? Was mov- like movies and directing something that you always had a passion for? I mean, I think everyone, you know, loves movies, loves the idea of being in a movie or being part of a movie, but I think I stumbled into it like a lot of people do. Um, I was a school teacher for about seven years in Mountain Home, Idaho, and throughout the process of teaching theater classes, we would do video production. We eventually started a video club and then had a uh, full-blown video program in the school district. And so as part of that process of me pretending to know what I was talking about, I was making more and more of my own videos. And like a lot of people, just trying to find ways of of making art that spoke to them. So yeah, just just kind of grew into little little bits and pieces. And finding when an audience really resonated with the story was important because if they really liked what you'd done, you thought, well, maybe I should make another, you know, story like that. And so I was just fortunate enough to be able to find employment where people recognized the value of storytelling and wanted to see either their company or in some t- in some cases their 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 community uh, to have their story told in a way that, that resonated with them. Yeah, awesome. So, what initially sparked your interest in human interest stories? Because you like telling stories about other people and what mm-hmm. and who they are and their personal stories. So, what initially sparked that interest? Um. I think it's easier because humans talk, so it's easier to yeah. <laughs> document them. Um, I think going back to just a story, one of my first early documentaries we just kind of stumbled into was a story about a woman named Irena Sendler. And for our part of it, the story wasn't so much about her, but about three or four young high school students in Kansas that stumbled across her story. So the short version of it was that Irena Sendler was a Holocaust hero. But she was undiscovered um, until after the movie Schindler's List came out. So back in the mid-90s, there was a group of students in a very small town in Kansas that came across a Newsweek article called Other Schindlers. And then there was a story about a woman who supposedly had personally saved something like 250,000 youth from the Warsaw Ghetto. That's monumentally huge. Right. And through their efforts, they uh, reached out and found out she was still alive in the late 90s and had a chance to go out and visit her in Poland. And uh, 
This is one of those odd situations where I'm interviewing students who are now adults telling the story. And as part of editing that project, I thought, well, I could I could dress this up better. I could do more with this story. So I had a chance to reach out to different government officials and eventually a very large Jewish group called Yad Vashem. And they gave us permission to have authentic photos from the Warsaw Ghetto. And without meaning to, we created a documentary that has been seen you know, half a million times and has had a, a profound impact on schools in Kansas. Perfect. So that kind of sparked your interest in those human interest stories, right? So they, humans talk. I'm mm-hmm. also a big talker. I love to talk. And just talking and asking people about their stories, because everybody has their own story. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we get caught up in our own world and thinking that we're the main character. We're the main character in our world. And Absolutely. we think, oh, everybody else is kind of like a side character. They're mm-hmm. just there. But we have to think that they're also the main character in their story, and they have an entire life full of stories. I think about it a lot on this campus. I walk by people that maybe I've seen once or twice, but they have an entire life outside of theirs, as as do I. I have an entire life that they have no no idea about. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of it's kind of cool just reaching out and figuring out those stories and talking to those people who do have those unique stories and who are just incredible people that we may not even know of. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think part of that draw is just this idea that everyone could be or is an unsung hero in their own regard. And Mm -hmm. most people, honestly, if they really are, are are very humble about it. Um, This lady I was talking about, when they found her, she was living in a very, uh, very drab, small one-bedroom apartment. And uh, these these girls in Kansas have found her story. They ended up nominating her for the Nobel Peace Prize. And that year, Al Gore won it out by just a few votes, however that's done. But they brought her to the national claim, got her some good health care, made sure that her last days were good ones. Mm -hmm. And so by exchange, these same young women became everyday heroes. Right. So tell me about your journey to becoming the producer and director you are today. (laughs) Um, I think I just kind of go back to that gratitude idea of of opportunity. Um, After transitioning from teaching school in Idaho, I went out to Kansas State University I happened to make a little family, I wouldn't even call it a film, but a family story about my son that has autism. And that eventually was picked up by the church. And because that kind of got out, um, people that were not members of the church saw it at my university and said, I love what you did with storytelling. We should do more of that. And so I have to give a lot of gratitude to my friends at Kansas State University because the opportunities were just opened up. Typically in the documentary world, it's a very scrappy business of raising funds, raising funds, and hoping you might make a film every three years. And I was lucky enough where there was either state funding or private funds available to make the stories we wanted to do. That's very unusual in the market. I'm just really grateful uh, that people saw value in that. Yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about these documentary documentaries that you've done. I, I went through a few of them and I watched them. And you talked a little bit just barely about your documentary about your son. So I wanted to dive a little bit more into that one because you said the, the church picked up on that one and, and it ended up becoming a Mormon message. The video, My Brother Hiram, is now 10 years old and has about 317,000 views. So what was that story all about? Why, why did you think of starting that story? What created that initial idea? And how did the church pick up on that? How did you get that gig? So around 2010, um, the church actually had a little social media contest of sorts where they were inviting members to submit really good photos, inspiring video clips or things where it could even just be like your testimony. But the idea was they wanted to encourage members to submit content. 
And Anthony Park at the time was working for the church and he was over that. And so that gave me the idea, but I never actually submitted anything for that. So about maybe eight months or 10 months later, I decided to make this little family video about my son's experience with autism as told through his sister's eyes. And so that's why it's called My Brother, Hiram. And uh, we made it as something to do for the family. I remember being able to download some music from the church at the time from that little competition that they did. And it just felt right. It was just a simple, sweet story. My daughter was probably six years old at the time, so she had a little bit of a lisp and, and mm -hmm. just a soft voice. And then it just sat out there on Vimeo uh, for about three years. So occasionally my friends, usually not members of the church, would see it and say, that was such a good story about special education. One day in 2013, I got a phone call from a producer um, at the church publishing services uh, named John Garbett. And he called and said, we've seen your video. Uh, we're doing a special Mormon message this month on autism. And we were wondering if you'd be willing to let us use that as part of the story. So the catch was um, I'd shot this before. The, f the video was fine, but the audio wasn't great. So they gave me a chance to go back with my daughter and re-record her audio just so it was a little bit more intelligible and you could hear her clear. Right. And throughout that process, I just figured I was going to pass off my footage and they would make it awesome. And they said, no, you made this. Uh, let's have you finish it. And I can tell you, Austin, the really inspiring thing about that whole process was they sent the email notes that went up and down the chain as they were approving things. And they didn't want anything in the story to change, but there was elements at the end like President Monson's voice and things. And I got to see an email from um, Neil Anderson talking about his comments because anything that has a prophet's voice has to be approved somewhere up the chain. And so to, to see that they were that careful with other people's stories, that they really were protective of children, was very inspiring to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to just say that that one video alone, because of that, um, allowed me to do the work that I do today. Yeah, I've, I remember watching that. And so my family, we have this tradition. I guess not really a tradition, but it's just something we do every morning on Sundays. We would go in and we watch all of those videos. And... That one is always one that my dad loves. And I, I told him when I was taking your class last semester, I was like, Dad, my teacher actually like produced that. He's that's his story. That's the story about his kids. And I I think it's amazing how the church the church does so well in communicating with other people to get their stories out there, right? All these Mormon messages, they're they're great stories. And they have some that aren't necessarily about people, but they're about the stories and the lives that we live every day. Mm -hmm. And then when they have those real life stories like your son and your daughter, it just hits so close to home. And I think that's why the church is so successful in this realm of creating those, those productions. So would you say that, I guess the church is a little bit of an inspiration to you for doing these stories? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember watching some of the first series of that with Mormon messages, but also, you know, just your classic, you know, films, how how much they 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 treasured the idea of the everyday hero. I think it's within our culture to not ever brag about ourselves or talk up the big things, but you go back to our kind of our founding fathers of the church. What do we what do we kind of love the most? We want to hear those personal stories of one on one conversations of an apostle or a prophet talking to someone, you know, on a subway. So Right. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that that story with us. I I think most people that will be listening to this will have have seen that video in some way or another. It's it's truly inspiring. So, thank you so much for 
sharing that story and being so vulnerable to share that, especially through the eyes of your daughter. That's such, that's such a beautiful, a beautiful message that she shares. Thank you. Appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit. You said you were with Kansas State University and you attribute a lot of your success to them. So while you were at Kansas State, you took part in, in producing the documentary series, A Walk in My Shoes. Where did this idea for the series come from and what did the filming process look like? Okay, so we had a wonderful professor there named Kay Ann Taylor, who uh, was very concerned that our international students on campus were either not being listened to very well or not understood very well from a cultural and a just a speaking aspect. So she said, I'd, I'd love to do some storytelling with some international students so that our American audience there in Kansas better understands where they're coming from and the fact they come with their families. So the very first one we did was called A Walk in My Shoes, International Students. You know, not a great title, but <laughs> but we did a story of, of uh, I believe, six students from, many of them from Muslim countries or from other countries around the world. And as part of that story, they were very vulnerable in talking about some of the challenges they had coming to the U.S. And without meaning to go anywhere that was in kind of a poignant or dark place, they shared some of the prejudice that had happened to them. Uh, some people whose, um, you know, they would be coming from countries like Malaysia where they don't look like they're coming from a Muslim country, but their wife might wear clothing that would indicate she was. And so it was a poignant, powerful way of saying, we've got some prejudices that we ought to overcome. And you may see someone that, that looks Muslim and you don't know, but what are we doing as Americans, as Kansans, to, to better welcome these people? So it was a tremendous success in that they shared that with a lot of students and got them talking about what are we doing to help welcome people so they don't feel like outsiders. Right. And that's, that's super important. And I found that a lot while coming here to, to BYU-Idaho. I, I spent some time out of the country as well, and I, I found that there were those prejudices, but it, it's like a culture thing. It's kind of weird how our brains are just like hardwired to think, oh, they're this way because of this. But we kind of have to think that everybody goes through their own certain, their own certain path of life that we don't know about. And it kind of, it kind of goes back to that. Everybody is their own main character and we don't really know what they're going through. We don't really understand how it is for them. And for me, when I was, I, I, I lived in Mozambique for a while for my mission and it was, it was a lot harder for me to live because it's a lot different. And a lot of people didn't understand that, right? So we think about it. When I came home from my mission, the culture shock really hit me because I'd been living in a third world country for about two years. And I come home to a first world country that has everything I could ever imagine. It's kind of hard. It's, it's, it's scary. And we think of America as like the land of opportunity and it's, it's awesome. There's so many opportunities given, but it's overwhelming. You know, even me as a citizen, it was so overwhelming to come back. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to think, and I don't, I don't know what it's like for those international students, but we also have to think, you know, we have to kind of look at it through their eyes mm -hmm. and understand that, you know, they're living their own life and they're struggling with things that we can't even imagine because we don't walk in their shoes. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really liked about the, the episode of the, of this documentary was that he has talked about that. Um, there was a story about, a couple of first generation students mm -hmm. that you that you that you talked about and how they're kind of having to pave the way they're the trailblazers mm -hmm. for their families they're the first ones to go to college the first ones to really figure out life in that setting and it's hard yeah 
It, yeah. There's challenges that they never thought they'd face because they, they're not familiar with it. I'm not a first generation, so I was given some some advice on what to do in college and how to be successful, and that was awesome. I don't know what I would have done without that, so I can't even imagine these students that are coming here for the first time, and they're the first ones mm-hmm. to really start that journey in school. So that's why I really liked this this uh, this series of Walk in My Shoes, because it, it really does give us different viewpoints from other people and what they're struggling with, because it's mm-hmm. a lot different than what we're struggling with. Yeah, exactly. And I think part of the, the needle you try to thread in documentaries is how can I how can I take something this person is experiencing that everyone can relate to? And we do that in visual and non-visual ways. So the fact you see a mom getting her son ready for school in the morning puts us in the same place as many moms. Um, the fact we see someone uh, who was working very hard at their job in a laborious position, everyone can emphasize with the fact that people when people work hard, we respect that, particularly as an American culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but this, this idea of psychological poverty was new to me when I started working on that project. And so like many things, you learn way more than probably the guests learned from you. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was a great privilege. And that kind of leads me to my next question. Um, you did a, I I guess in your bio, it says you have experience producing in Tanzania Mm -hmm. and I was kind of looking through your projects and it, it, it was it the project, um, humanity looks good on everyone. Was that the one in Tanzania? Mm -hmm. Awesome. So again, Tanzania is right next to Mozambique. So like that culture's it's very similar. I met a lot of people from Tanzania um, and they're amazing people. And I learned a lot from not only them, but just from that part of the country. So what was it like producing a film in a country like Tanzania? And what did you learn from the production of that film? Because you said, you know, that the producer often learns a lot from the people that they're talking to, the stories that they're producing, yeah. right? Yeah. So what did you learn from the people of Tanzania and from that short film? Oh, great questions. Um, so this was 2012. So early days for me of, of, of doing production, especially what we call one man band type stuff. So I came with a series of questions and with the outlook, we were actually going to gather the stories of our American students who were going there to work in special education schools and who would also be helping to train, um, university students who are also special ed teachers in Tanzania. And so I was gathering this experience of young Americans going to a country and really capturing their experience. And at the same time, we also tried to interview as many special ed teachers as we could over there because the story is about autism and about how our different countries grappling with this idea of how do we not just help students from an educational aspect, but how do we overcome some of the cultural um, stereotypes that are embedded and, and just take generations to overcome. So the short version is technically, uh, technologically, it was it was a little bit of a challenge hauling gear across there, but we had some tremendous guides, and because they could always speak the language and I couldn't speak Swahili, um, they were able to interpret my questions easier and get things answered. Um, it was nice being able to capture a lot of the traveling that we did because we traveled. I don't know, a thousand miles across <laughs> across the country and back in different places. And just that perspective, when we talk about other countries, you know, it's easy to to think we've we've got it all. We're we're this great country, which we which we have a lot of great things. But thinking of quotes from like Elder Bednar, you know, when when he's been to Africa, he talks about families that don't have much in the way of worldly goods, but also don't have the stresses of busy parents trying to take their kids to three different activities on a single day. And how grateful they are for the small things. Um, I was absolutely blown away 
of the work that missionaries, not just from our church, but other churches had done for 50 years to help people get past some of these um, misunderstandings about, you know, special needs. Um, in some parts of the country, not all, but in some parts of the country at that time in 2012, there was a lot of superstition that a child that was born with an autism or a unseen um, disability was either possessed or was of a devil or had something terribly wrong with them. And so that was something to be shamed and to to keep the kids safe. In some cases, the parents would simply hide them up in their home or send them off to an orphanage, probably never to see them again. And so as these good people, Tanzanians and people and missionaries alike, worked and worked with the community, they were slowly chipping away some of these um, just false ideas that are prevalent in all cultures but happened to be there at that time. Right. It was kind of similar over in Mozambique where, you know, the culture is just different. And it's it's super cool just to hear about their stories and to really be part of that culture. So I'm sure that that was such a neat experience for all of you guys working on this film. So what was it about? So you, you were you're talking a little bit about it. You're, you're raising awareness for special ed teachers and for autism over in Tanzania. So what was the goal for this film? So from the from the side of Kansas State University, I was sent to go and document the experiences of our K-State students who were about to graduate and who were going on a trip with a professor named Marilyn Calf. She had been going there for years working to a to a college called Sukuko College. And the idea was to train already professional teachers there who were learning things like the CARS report, which is a standardized form you use to help identify children with autism. And for the Americans, I believe we had eight students with us. Their experience was to go over there and to just share what they could. We went to a number of orphanages and schools just to kind of kind of uh, experience what it was like there. And their impressions coming back were phenomenal. You know, they said, you know, we really don't need all this technology. Um, they are using paper supplies. They're using all these great things for tactile things for kids to learn different types of rote memorization, but also just experiencing things. But also they could tell that their caregivers loved these children, like absolutely loved them. And so if that was the only big takeaway, it was that um, they could experience another country, experience the great blessings that we've, we've, we've gained these strides in education that we can share with the world. But also what matters most is relationships, mm -hmm. that if a caregiver truly loves a child, they can help them grow no matter where they come from. And on a small note, we also tried to gather as much information as we could from the teachers who were there. Awesome. Thank you. That's that's such a in a very cool story and it's it's stories like those and it's it's experiences like those that really help a person grow, right? Cuz like you were saying they're they're so focused on the little things. They're not focused on the things that we're focused on here in the states, right? They they are so family-based. They they love their families. They love just spending time together. I just talking with the people in Mozambique and then from the Tanzanians that I met they were just so family-based, family-oriented, and what was special to them was family and God, mm -hmm. right? They that's that's what they wanted to keep close to them. They didn't really care about anything else. And it's when you don't have much that you care so much about the little things. And it's sharing stories like those and it's seeing those stories that really makes us here in the states with with everything that we have think a little bit about what really is important to us. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that that was a lesson that that people have have learned from watching that that docu series, and then just from watching all of your all of your documentaries, right? It's it's really just finding out 
what's important, and what you should keep close. So if you could give any piece of advice to anyone, future film students, literally just anyone, what advice would you give and why? I think to future film students, we, we talk about this idea that storytelling is a two-way process. Um, you need to be a good listener in order to kind of figure out what the story's about. You need to be a good researcher and try and do your due diligence so you're not just running off with the first thing you come up with. But uh, if we go where the heart goes, um, we can help people uh, have the same emotional experience or at least at the, at the very least be able to um, empathize with somebody. And so this idea of walking in someone else's shoes is important. Skills and crafts come along with anything, just like learning to record with a microphone. You get better as you do more and more of it. Um, but learning to tell a good story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and takes us on a journey that, that matters um, is awesome. For me, I feel privileged that I'm dealing with real stories um, that really happened. And I think that truth is not just stranger than fiction, but sometimes a lot awesomer. Just good, good, positive things. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you. Is there anything else that maybe we didn't cover that you would like to expand upon or share before we close out the interview? Um, Just want to bear testimony of the promises made here of this university. Um, I was here during the transition between Ricks College and BYU-Idaho when uh, Henry Beiring came and and gave the great promise um, in the early 2000s about what would happen uh, to the changes on campus, but also the kinds of people that would graduate from here. And... uh, one of the promises he made was that our ability to work with people, our ability to do good in the world, um, would make us not only leaders in the world, but, but a force for good. And I have felt like the blessings that opened up in my life as a school teacher and then transitioning to doing something very different were direct uh, promises that came from that blessing. And so I just think how grateful I am to be here now and to see those same miracles happening throughout the world. That was producer, film director, and BYU-Idaho faculty member, Rusty Earl. Thanks again for joining me. Thank you.